Open up your Bibles to Matthew. That's where we're going to be this morning. A few weeks ago, about a couple weeks ago, I went to youth ministry that night to reach and hung out with them. And uh, that night, Michael Brees, who just did communion for us, shared a story. And I thought, it's, I just love the way that God weaves things together and gives me stories and different things to include, well, gives me different things to include when I'm preparing a, a passage. And so the story goes like this. There was a lady, and she noticed her big, brutal, mean German shepherd in the backyard with something in its mouth. And you know how a dog gets something in his mouth? Remember how a dog gets something in his mouth? And how he just shakes it, just shakes it. And so finally she got up there to see what the dog had in his mouth, and it was the neighbor's pet rabbit. And that dog was just shaking. And she's like going to fight a release, drop, stop. And the dog's not stopping, still just shaking this little rabbit with all of its life out of it and all. And she goes in the house and gets the broom and starts whacking him. Let release, stop, release. And the dog drops the rabbit, runs off. She picks up the rabbit and its life has passed from it, as you can imagine. So she doesn't know what to do. She takes the rabbit, cleans it up, blow dries it to get the fur up on it, (laughs) runs next door, puts it back in the rabbit pen, and goes back in the house. A little while later, a little while later, she hears from inside her house screaming from the backyard next door. Ah! 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 And she thinks, what do I do now? So she goes into the backyard and goes, oh my, what's wrong? (laughs) And the neighbor lady goes, I can't believe it. My rabbit died two weeks ago and it's back in its pen. (laughs) This morning we're talking about resurrection. And actually, I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 15. You stay in Matthew 28 if you're there. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to say, this is not in the movies anymore. Last week's sermon, this was still in the movie theater. I just want to mention it to you that when it comes out streaming or whatever, I encourage you to find that movie and rent it. If you didn't see it, the movie's called Risen. It's made by people in Hollywood. I don't know that anyone, I couldn't find that there was anyone really involved in a faithful way who was around it, but the movie has so many of the elements of the resurrection that are accurate. And what this is, it's kind of like CSI Jerusalem. You know what I mean? And it's the story of the centurion who witnesses Christ's death and who's in charge of that. And that when the resurrection, you know, when they put him in the tomb, they say, make sure nothing happens. And then, as you know, the story goes, something happens. And he is tasked with finding the body to quell the people. Well, the problem is that the body he finds is alive and walking. And it's his story of wrestling with that. It's very well done. It's very thought-provoking. I enjoyed it very much. Yes, there are some things that aren't in the Bible. I don't know. It's made by people who are not in the Bible either. It's really well done, given that fact. I'd encourage you, when it comes out, to catch up on it, because it is thought-provoking. I encourage you to watch it. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul wrote this, and he says, verses 3, he says, and that he was buried. He says, this is the first thing i got to tell you. 
and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Matthew and Mark have the least amount of information about Christ's resurrection. Matthew 28 records the Great Commission, which that's really a big deal, so it's not like it's nothing, but Matthew just in general doesn't have a lot of information, a lot of details. So in Matthew 28, he does record this, which is one of the last things that Christ said. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the rest of the Gospels, Luke has a great deal in it. It has the story, which is one of my favorites, about the two men on the road to Emmaus. If you're familiar with the story, it's, it goes like this, that they are they're leaving Jerusalem, and they are pretty disappointed in everything that has happened. And Christ appears next to them, walking on the road with them. And he says, what are you talking about? And they begin, and they, can you kind of imagine it? They kind of stop on the road and look at him and go, what are we talking about? Where have you been? And they begin to tell him what they're talking about. And so he walks with them, and he ends up going home with them. And then as he's breaking bread, he begins to tell them everything. And in that moment, he leaves. And they realize that they've been walking with the Lord. And they rush back to the disciples and say, we've seen him. He was with us. We were on the road walking, and he was talking with us. And he began to share all of this with us. Great, great story. I love it. John records the most of what Christ said in those 40 days. Mary clinging to him when he's come out of the tomb, his interaction with doubting Thomas, fishing expedition that happened on the Sea of Galilee, and he goes, ah, cast cast your net on the other side. And they bring in the hall, they have breakfast with him of fish, the affirming of Peter in that same episode. And then finally in Acts 1, we have this passage here, and it says, but you will receive, this is Christ speaking to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. This is a question that is curious a little bit. He is alive from the grave, right? One would think, okay, when he is resurrected that he, well, he would just go back to heaven. Or, but if you see him on earth, then, oh, then he's here to stay. What's this going to be like? Jesus forever here on earth with us. And that's not what he did. He stayed for a small amount of time, and then he left. Why? Why would he come and then leave? Why would he come and leave? What are your thoughts about that? Give me a thought. Give me, what do you, just process that for a minute. What's one of your thoughts about why Jesus would come back from the dead and not leave forever or come back in dead and not stay forever, that he came back and then he left. What are your thoughts about that? Why would he do that? To prove who he was? Okay, good. What else? Yeah, Kevin? Right. Amen, brother. To leave it with us to, to further the kingdom. 
Okay, great. Good, good. Anyone else? Yes. Um, you came to teach the apostles what they needed to do to, to minister and to start the church. Yeah, to teach the apostles to minister and, and to start the church. was to leave behind proof. Leave behind proof. Good word. Absolutely, Jacqueline. Yeah. Did I see another hand? They commissioned them to do something, so right. that usually means they are to take his place and carry on. Commissioned him to do something. They co- he commissioned them to do something to take his place and carry them on. Very good. Now, I've only got four points, and you guys have already given them all. So if you add something else to the message, it's going to be a problem for me, all right? <laughs> Peruse? Fulfilling prophecy, exactly. That's not in my message, okay? But y'all listen to what Peruse said. All right, James? To say to allow us to do what he says that we walk by faith so we can We walk by so that we can learn to so that we walk by faith, not by sight. Very good. All right, I saw one more hand in the middle. Did I, J- Bill? His work is finished. His work is finished. All right, go ahead. Complete. Complete. <laughs> okay, good. Good word. So I've picked up on four of those things as well, and I want us just to briefly look at each one of them a little bit and focus on one in particular. One of them is, you know, by showing himself alive, he proved he is alive. You know, it, it, it would be very hard to argue that he was really alive and, and not in the tomb and the body wasn't stolen and there wasn't some con- conspiracy if he had never been seen. If all they found was an empty tomb, wouldn't it be easy for all kinds of conspiracy theories, and we know about those, for all kinds of conspiracy theories to be created and say, he really didn't come back from the grave? Where's the body? <laughs> Quite honestly, think about it. Everyone would be saying about Jesus what we say about the other faith leaders. We would be saying, because that's what we say about about Muhammad. Where's the body? The grave is still there. The grave is, the body's still in it. They'd say, well, where's the body? You can't prove you really came back to life. And so really, and and if you look at the passages we just read, it says that we see him eating. We see him walking and sitting and spending time with the disciples and others in Luke 24 and John 20, 20. And he's there enough time to expose himself to many, it says. Paul says that Cephas and the 12 and the 500 and James and then to the 12 again and then finally to himself. And then Luke 24 says, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they begin to relate their experiences on the road. This is, this is the, the, the two men on the road to Emmaus. Because now people are talking about seeing him, just like these two guys did. And they begin to relate their experiences with him. One of the reasons I believe that he did it was to verify that the prophecies, as Peru said, the prophecies had been fulfilled. He is alive from the grave. He is walking around. And he has done so so that many people can see him, and many people are talking about it. You wouldn't have to argue with an empty tomb. You would have to argue with all those witnesses as well. Another one would be, as someone of you said also, he, that he tied his teaching together. In John 29, it says, And as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. They're not getting it. We're about to close out the story, and they're still not getting it, it says. Luke 24 says, These words appeared as nonsense. And they would not believe. Matthew 16 says they refused to believe it. Even going so far 
as Thomas, after all the others have said, we've seen him, you still have Thomas, who all of us fit into his profile, saying, show me. Until I touch the wound, until I touch the, the wound in his head and in his side, I don't believe it. Show me. Show me. He's been teaching all this stuff. And now here he is, like going, okay. And so what does it say in Luke 24 when he's talking to these guys on the road to Emmaus? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. It's not like he says, do you remember in the temple that time that I said this? Do you remember that time in Galilee that I said that? Do you? And he doesn't do that. He doesn't start there. He goes all the way back to Moses and he goes, look, it's always been about this. Let me show you. So he doesn't just take his teaching. He takes the teaching of all the Old Testament and he brings it together and he goes, see, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like here. Do you, do you get this? Do you remember what I said? And they're listening and they're like, it's, can you kind of hear the cogs clicking into gear? Oh, really? And even at that, I don't believe that they still captured everything. In Luke 24, 44, it says, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Everything you've learned all your life, John, Peter, all that stuff you used to do with the Torah and with your teachers. And then the times that we were together, that day on the Mount of Transfiguration, those miracles, that teaching I did with the temple when I said, to destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up? He said, all that is about this. This right here. And then it says, and their minds began to understand. He came back. He was tying together all of his teaching. Like another one of you said, he came back to affirm them. To affirm them. Scriptures say that they were in hiding in a room, afraid of what might happen to them afraid of what was going to happen next. What would become of the followers of Christ? If they did that to him, what's to become of us? There's one little item. And then the other is that on that night, they just had the most unusual dinner with him. The most unusual Passover meal with him. Where the teacher had washed their feet, where the teacher had said that I won't do this again with you until the kingdom. The teacher had said all these things, and we'd had this most amazing moment with him, and hours later, I deserted him. And if you're Peter, not only did you desert him, but you verbally denied him in front of others. In this time, he took the time to say to them, come along, come along and believe my doubters, my traitors, my ex-friends. None of that is true about you. That's not the way I see you. 
Come along. All is forgiven. Don't worry about that. He brought them together, I believe, to affirm them, to forgive them, to encourage them, to clear their conscience so that that they wouldn't be weighted down by that. He shared meals with them. But he made sure that there was no doubt that he hadn't forgiven them. I'm always sensitive to those of us in this room who one day, one time in their life were very avid followers, zealous followers, who for some reason or another have found themselves not following so hard anymore, who have found themselves somewhere on a path far, far away. That's why I do love that line of the hymn that says, prone to wonder, Lord, because I am a wanderer, and I did wander for many years. And what he did to them, he did to me. And if you are in that place where you find that you have wandered, he does that for you as well. He welcomes you back. He forgives. He affirms. He reestablishes. Let's go forward. If you're in that place today of having wandered, he welcomes you back. He longs to welcome you back. And I hope you believe that and would go to him and do that. Finally, the fourth reason is for final instructions. You guys said that. Jacqueline said that, I think. In Matthew 28, this is what he says here. He says, Go therefore, Jesus came upon, and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Mark, in his gospel, records a very, very similar statement. So it's twice in there. Luke says at the very end, he says that... um, he, stay, he says, stay and receive the Holy Spirit. And then the, the final words that John has to the disciples. So, so in Mar- Matthew and Mark says, go and make disciples. Luke says, stay here until you get the Holy Spirit. And then John says, as the Father sent me, I send you. In his last moments with them on this earth, he says, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. These are his final instructions. They're pretty specific. Go and do this. Do what I've done with you, and teach what I've taught you. Go and do it. It's interesting, isn't it, that especially in the Matthew passage here, while I don't believe that the guys actually knew what was about to happen next, Jesus knew what was about to happen next. He knows he's leaving. And isn't it interesting, the last thing he says to them, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Really interesting comment, isn't it, for a man who's leaving. He says to us, this is his instruction to us, go and make disciples. Now, to make a disciple, you need to be a disciple. So if you want to do a little exercise with me, I'd love for you to join me. You don't have to, but if you'd like to, take out your bulletin or, you know, take out a piece of paper. You can just do this in your mind. Take and draw two lines for me, all right? 
If you're a mental person and you want to just do this in your head, that's perfectly fine. And on the top line, do this for me. Becoming a disciple. And on the bottom line, do this. Making disciples. Rank yourself. On the low end of marginal participation to no participation to the high end of great participation, measure yourself. You don't have to share this with anyone else. This is really between you and the Lord. But where are you in becoming a disciple? And then finally also, where are you in making disciples? Let me just ask you one more question now that you've perhaps graded, you know, and self-grading is always dangerous, isn't it? If we're not doing these things, can we call ourselves a disciple of Christ? Can we call ourselves a follower of Christ? Can we say that we are doing what he did? Can we say that we're following through with what he said to do? When we talk about being equipped here at Crossing, because that's one of our things here, we talk about being uh, equipping, sending, and serving. When we talk about equipping here at Crossing, you know, that's why we host various equipping classes and small groups and Bible studies. It's an opportunity for us to be in the Word, to wrestle with its content, and to be accountable because we're in a group of people with it very often. Eugene Peterson says, we're not interested in knowing more, but in becoming more. So if your quiet time is to know more, or if your time for this morning is to know more, sorry, I disappoint you sometimes, (laughs) Um, but if your equipping class or your Bible study, or your small group, is to know more, then you are there for the wrong reason. But if it's to become more, then you're there for the right reason. Downstairs, uh, in the information rack, we have a list of 13 Bible studies, 13 different Bible studies in small groups that happen from junior high to those at the other end of the spectrum that anyone can attend can be involved in trying to become a disciple. Now, let me just ask you something. Let me just try and and bring this home for you a little bit. Imagine with me, if you will, a movie. And it's probably the closing scene. And this closing scene is of a, a loved one who's bowed down to hear the words of a dying loved one. Imagine, if you will, with that little image up there, that the gentleman there is drawing his last breath, that his voice is weak at best, difficult to hear, and you see what that guy's doing. He is leaning in to hear it because last words are powerful, because last words have meaning. They're important. And for us, the Lord's last words were go and make disciples. They were not random words. They were not something he thought of at the moment and said, what should we say here? The party's over. I've got to go. So what should we say here? Been nice hanging with you guys? No, his last words were as important as that dying man's last words were. They were intentional. They were deliberate. And his last words were, go and make disciples. This morning, just leave you with this question. Are you and I leaning in to hear those words? Are you and I 
in that place where you know that's what being said to you is important, that you know what is being said to you is, is meaningful and deliberate. And those words are, go and make disciples. I'm not talking about being a missionary. But if that's where the Lord leads you, let us send you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking simply about this. To make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. So my first question to you is this. Have you leaned in and heard him say, if you want to be like me, you have to follow me and obey me and become like me. Become my disciple. And then once you have become my disciple, it's not enough to say that you are like him because you are not like him unless you are making other disciples. This is just it. I'm not telling you this. I'm not, I'm not beating up on you. I'm just telling you what the word says. And the word says this, that you are not a full disciple unless you're investing your life in somebody else and helping them to become a disciple. That's who we want to be as a church. That's who we want to be as followers of his. We want our culture. We want being in this room to be something where when you come in, and just like the Harrises who come in, and they're new to us, and then they come in and they say, what are you guys about? We want us to be able to say, we are about being and making. We are about to equip, sin, serve, because we want to be like him, and he says that we cannot be like him unless we're making disciples. Would you like to be a part of our church and be making disciples alongside of us? That's what we like. That's what we want new people to feel like when they come in here because that's our ethos, that's our culture. That's what it means to be like him. This morning, I leave you with him and with his last words to you and let you talk to him about that. Let's close in prayer.